Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. The 48-hour film project's Horror Fest is starting to ramp up. This is a variation on the original 24-hour film project, which has crews write, shoot, and edit a short film in a weekend. This version is obviously time for Halloween. So if you're interested, there's a link to the full schedule of events on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Folks say this is the Kino capital of the world. Welcome to Nick. You come to shoot pool? And come to adopt a puppy. So, I'll bring you here. My truck. <laughs> she has an attitude. I just don't like telling total strangers my life story. That was a clip from Double Down South, a drama about a type of pool called Kino and the woman who comes to play. It's the first of two films featured at this year's Richmond International Film Festival on today's show. The movie's producer, Rick Wallace, gained fame working on L.A. Law and Hill Street Blues before becoming the executive producer on The Closer and Major Crimes. He talks about the new film, which he produced with writer-director Tom Schulman, who won an Oscar for writing Dead Poets Society. Sifter Review of the Week Special Ops Lioness on Paramount+. Plus. Even though Zoe Saldana and Nicole Kidman are the stars, they play bosses of the woman doing the work, Liza de Oliveira. She's a new recruit to the special secret ops group, and her mission is to befriend the daughter of a wealthy funder for terrorists. Her training and subsequent involvement forms the crux of the story, with the other two women confronting the political and logistical consequences. Creator Taylor Sheridan has placed the emphasis on female characters with their personal relationships adding an emotional connection, but the thrust is really about the covert ops. There are a few moments of tough physical encounters to maintain the action adjective, but the focus is on the mental challenges these characters face, so there's lots of Sheridan's spicy chatter punctuated by spurts of violence. I gave Special Ops Lioness 3 out of 5 stars. So, Rick Wallace, welcome to the show. Now, I want to ask you, obviously, you have an impressive resume as a producer of shows like L.A. Law and Hill Street Blues and then executive producer of The Closer and Major Crimes. Lots of criminal activity in your background. A couple of very early features, but not any lately. So why did you decide, hey, I want to produce a movie for a change? Tom and I have known each other since we were both directing students back in the late 70s in wow. Los Angeles. We've been very close friends for all that time. Did a bunch of, of non-union films, the first being Halloween as an assistant director, the first right. Halloween, uh, John Carpenter Halloween. And then... I managed somehow to hook up with Stephen Bochco at uh, Hill Street Blues. And by the second year there, I was directing Hill Street. Now, Tom was writing, and Tom and I were playing golf together often. And so over the years, when he's written something, I would read it, and we would collaborate in terms of notes, and I would talk to him. We would talk to each other about it. Footnote. Tom is Tom Schulman, who wrote and directed Double Down South, and he's best known for writing Dead Poet Society, for which he received an Oscar. When I finished Major Crimes about four years ago, Tom called me about two and a half years ago, and he said, I've got this script, and I want you to read it. And I said, of course. I read the script, and I said, I, I love this script, Tom. And he said, uh, you, you want to do it together? Uh, I said, look, I won't take any money for it. I'm sure you're not going to take any money for it because because we may have to make it for not a lot of money. So then it began. And I have to say that the last two and a half years of my life have been tremendously rewarding. I'm very proud 
of this film. And Tom and I collaborated in a way that's without question the best collaboration of my life with the possible exception of my collaboration with Bochco. Well, let's talk a little bit about the movie, Double Down South. Why was it set in 1998? Do those things not happen now? That's correct. The film highlights a game that was once very popular in the United States called Kino. Which I'd never heard of. Yes. And the reason <laughs> you haven't heard of it is because it was such a high stakes game that it was outlawed in 18 states. Wow. And it's fallen radically out of favor. There are Kino boards somewhere in the country, though we couldn't locate any that we could actually use in the film. We had to build our own. But because it was popular at one time and because some of the sentiments of the film or the themes of the film are a little better substantiated in 1999 than they would be now, regardless of the fact that they are alive and well or unwell at this point in the country. Obviously, the whole thing was shot on a funky old plantation was that a real plantation y'all found somewhere and had to dilapidate it? Or was it already in that kind of shape? That plantation was located in Union, South Carolina. That is to say, the exteriors that we shot were in Union, South Carolina. We didn't do anything basically to the house because inside it was as big a mess as it was outside. The interiors were all shot in a town called Madison, Georgia. And the reason it was shot in Madison, Georgia, was because it was a home that was recently purchased that basically matched the exterior of the house. And because the owner, the new owner, was going to totally remodel the interior, he let us do everything we wanted to do. So our production designer went about transforming the house from as bad as it was to, oh, how horrible. <laughs> well, that's interesting you say that when you f first you said the exteriors were shot in one place. I thought you were going to say and the interiors were shot in a soundstage, but obviously they were all oh. shot on location. Oh, yeah. We couldn't afford a soundstage. Ah, I see. Surprise guest drop in. And speaking of the film, it's Heather Waters, who is the executive director of the Richmond Film Festival, wanted to come in and say hello to you. Fabulous. Hello, gentlemen. Surprise, surprise. How are you doing? Hi, Rick. I feel like we know each other already. I'm yeah, I do too. so excited to have you and Tom and everybody with us at RIP. It's quite an honor. Well, thank you. We're, we're honored and excited to be there. Just to have it for opening night, Rick, along with Tom, who is also a legend. And thank you also for honoring Tom with the Legacy Award. You know, Richard, not only has he just given so much to the industry like yourself but for him to to be the director on on this project and then all of the stuff that he does behind the scenes right for the industry in addition to writing and and producing and directing I felt like he he's just the perfect fit to honor him in that way. So, Heather, you said this is the opening night film. How many more films and what else is going to be going on for that next few days? Well, you know, we've got a jam-packed schedule. This is the biggest year yet with, I think, 196 films from about 20 different countries. And then we add on music. And then we also, of course, have the Flow Collective Conference. So we kind of drill down on industry topics and do a series of panels and pitch sessions. Yeah, it's going to be a special week. Well, thank you so much for dropping in, Heather. As you said, the film's great. We're looking forward to everybody being here on the opening night of the festival. Thank you, Jerry, so much. And Rick, I look forward to seeing you all in six weeks. As we do. <laughs> 
So, Rick, have you ever been to Richmond before? I directed a pilot in Richmond, oh, somewhere in the 1990s, called The Monroes. Footnote. The Monroes was a 90s TV series about a political family much like the Kennedys. I uh, had a wonderful time there. Well, let's go back to Double Down South and talk a little bit about yeah. that. Obviously, it's about Kino, which is a form of pool. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming with all those actors having to play pool, you must have had a specialist who came in and taught them how to look like they knew what they were doing. We did. Tom's very close friends with Kim to begin with. That's Kim Coates, the, who's the leading actor in the show. Yeah. And one of their close friends is Matt Craven, who's also an actor and was in his youth a pool hustler of sorts. I, hustler may be the wrong word, but he was a great pool player and he took Lily under his wing. Footnote. Lily is Lily Simmons, who plays the new woman pool player. And taught her to play. On the set, Kim taught the other actors, and Tom insisted on a week's rehearsal, which is virtually unheard of on a low-budget film like this. Sure. But that week was not only about the script and choices that Tom and the actors wanted to make, but it was also about teaching pool to the character who plays Justin McManus, who plays Dubinian, to Igby Rigney, who plays Little Nick. So it was kind of a family affair with Kim leading on the set. As a director, I was noticing the setups and how many times it was cut when the ball actually went in the right place. So <laughs> how many times did they have to do that as opposed to let's get it all in one continuous shot? Because obviously these aren't pros. We did five or six or eight or 10 shots that had to be done in as what we call a oneer, And some of those happened by, by, by accident, which we fortunately got on film. Some of them were visual effects, which we had to construct in camera. Then on the last two days of the film, I sat in one room with um, some pool experts and Tom sat in another room and we did everything that we felt we might need in post-production in order to make that happen. I guess you can't tell me how many of those shots were actually visual effects. I think probably three or four. Oh, that's not bad. Well, I don't want to give away what the shots are. I'll tell you when I see you. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Now, at the end of the film, I noticed, and this is an interesting statement I've never seen. It says, a film by the entire cast and crew. Mm -hmm. I understand the concept, but where did that come from and why was that decided to be in there? That's totally Tom. Because it was really kind of a, a family affair. It was a uh, collaboration that was appreciated by everybody. We took as good care of everybody as we possibly could, which meant not a tremendous amount of money, but a lot of great food and a lot of consideration for what was going on with each department. And obviously the extras in the film were fantastic. They were authentic. Obviously they felt such a part of the experience that we wanted to honor them. What is the plan for distribution? Have you got any bites yet? Or are you still just playing the festival game? No, we have a distributor and we've decided that we're going to release the film just after the new year. We're going to probably do a premiere in Los Angeles and we're going to open anywhere from 20 to 60 theaters. If we're doing well, then we'll stay in the theaters for a while. And if not, we will go to VOD and then streaming and then uh, Tubi or Mubi or one of those freebies. Yeah. At the, one of the freebies with commercials. Good, good. Congratulations.
so this is an interesting film and obviously there's a lots of double dealings going on here but there's some themes behind it a little bigger what what are some of the themes behind this movie well this is this is a film that deals with misogyny with race relations and in a way the fall of the confederacy it's a film about a male dominated universe where women are not welcome and never expected and into a very tough, as I said, misogynistic universe comes a young woman who has remarkable pool skills and an agenda. And that's Lily Simmons. And that's Lily Simmons. Ultimately, she ends up playing the world champion and manages to survive a very dangerous universe. Yes, she does. Well, Rick, I enjoyed the movie very much. I can't wait for Richmond to get to see it and then the rest of the world to get to see it next year. So thank you so much. And we'll look forward to seeing you in Richmond. Jerry, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. That was Rick Wallace, producer of Double Down South, which is the first of two films featured at this year's Richmond International Film Festival. There's a young woman standing on our porch. Can we all just like do our own thing? Why do we have to spend time with her? There's plenty of space. Oh, stop it. Don't be paranoid. What's the matter with spending one night with her? I mean, yes, Eliza has a lot of energy. Yeah, I don't feel good about her. That was a clip from the film that Richmonder Justin Geltzahler wrote and directed, Glue Trap. Justin Geltzahler, welcome to Sifter for the Ear. Now, I noticed, of course, one of the first things I always do in research is the IMDb page, and it has you in there for lots of script and continuity jobs. Why don't you explain for our listeners, what does that mean? What, did you, what were you actually involved doing? And it's kind of basically the go-between between the writer's room and production. I, I'd read every draft. I'd copy edit them, proof them. But also, as I'd get to know the writers better, I'd check for story continuity. Or I'd be like, hey, this kind of feels out of place with where this character's at. Or even just offering, you know, adjustments of line. But it's basically doing everything I can to make the script a production-ready document. Because then I'm dealing with questions from every department, from the studio, from legal, and just being like, because anything in a script will kind of be seen as the word of God and we have to do it. And sometimes it could just be an errant thought. Like character names would be a big thing of like, oh, can we have someone with this name? And it's ba the rule of thumb is basically there needs to be no one in an area uh, right. with that name or a bunch of people in the area with that name. Oh, that's interesting. Succession, Fosse Verdon, Respect, Outlander, Euphoria, a lot of impressive shows. How did you land those jobs? Honestly, just I uh, I was confident and I'd get recommended by people who'd worked with me. Like Fosse Verdon was the first show I worked on where the office was right next to where people were shooting it. So it'd be like, oh, hey, they're filming a big musical number downstairs. Wow. Let's go check it out. And Succession was great because I was a consultant on the final season. So I was basically the election was my baby. And on this last season, they asked me to be on set for the whole production. Just so, wow. you know, I, I, I would be answering questions and just dealing with all the DC experts to kind of make this uh, terrifying election come to life. And it was a great experience, even if it involved going out to New Jersey uh, on Saturday and Sunday to take over CNBC. Oh, wow. Cool. Cool. So what were you actually doing on Succession for that? I mean, were you were they coming to you to ask you questions about some of the stuff in the script? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would basically so that, that's a show a lot of TV shows will sometimes add in TV screens in post. That's a show where every screen you see, we filmed something ahead of time. And so I was writing all the scripts for the news anchors and things oh, cool. like that. But also, you know, planning out the disaster of the ballot burning that's happening in the background. And so then on set, anytime they'd make an adjustment or they'd be like, OK, we want to improvise with this. I was kind of the brain trust of this is what is happening in the reality of the show. Here's where you 
have wiggle room. Here's where we really have to stick to things. And uh-huh. yeah. Uh, did you mention, I, you probably didn't come up because I guess it was last season they went to Richmond. Technically, they didn't actually come to Richmond. They shot some B-roll here and then they shot it, I think, D.C. or New York. I did help them with research. I did try, you know, especially when it was talk of, you know, okay, this is a Waffle House type restaurant that's going to be near the Jefferson. Here are the type of people that are going to be there. And so it was using a lot of uh, experience of late nights near VCU campus. <laughs> So let's now pivot to Glue Trap, which is the movie that you wrote and directed and will be playing at the Richmond Film Festival. Where did that original idea come from? Well, uh, that original idea came from the fact that it was uh, May 2020. Oh. Yeah. I had a different film that I'd been planning to make with friends in Richmond. It was going to be an urban mystery. As the New World Order set in, I, I kind of had to accept I can't make this movie anymore. And so I, my parents have a cabin in the woods in Nelson County. I went off there to write. The whole film just kind of came out of me. I've never written a screenplay in two days before, but I wrote Glue Trap. And I think it was because I knew the characters and I knew the location that it was all able to flow out. Surprise guest drop in. Hey, Heather. Hi, Justin. <laughs> it's so good to meet you via Zoom. Footnote. Heather Waters, director of Riff, is back again. Likewise, and thank you so much for including our film and particularly in programming it at the best theater in the country. I, I love the bird. Justin's film, and we've got a few others, are one of the real reasons why I started the festival, um, at least partially, and that is, you know, to bring those once local filmmakers back to Richmond to show off the great work that they're doing and and also just to share outside talent with Richmond and then to share our talent here in Richmond with outside, you know, filmmakers. So these are the stories that I love, you know, to kind of hear. And when they come across our desk, we get excited about them. Of course, I'll have a link on the webpage for this show with a link to the festival and they can find out about all the concerts, all the things. And maybe they'll even see, hey, Justin's going to be on a panel now. There we go. If you haven't yet, Justin, you're going to be emailed soon so get ready (laughs) (laughs) oh i got got the itinerary and i'm excited to talk great well thanks for dropping in heather yeah my pleasure thank you jerry see you soon heather bye-bye obviously you shot almost the entire film in the cabin so that was convenient because you didn't have to pay rent or location fees how big was your crew because obviously shooting in a little in a house like that you don't have a whole lot of room to no no our crew is probably around 10 11 people the claustrophobic effect is important, but we also don't want it to look too repetitive. And thankfully, you know, we had a great uh, cinematographer, Christopher Fox and Rahul Sharma, our gaffer, who were able to light it differently each time and give everything a lot of flavor. But the stuff we filmed outdoors was all on the property or on Skyline Drive, which, uh, as we learned from the Virginia Film Office, counted as a national park. So we were kind of OK to film around there because this was a very low budget project. Oh, but cool. yeah, in terms of uh, struggles, I think. The night before filming, uh, all the water shut off in our cabin. So we had no running water for the first week of filming and everyone was having to use the woods or take a 10 minute car ride to our base camp. And I was staying in the cabin for the duration of this shoot, or that had been the plan. But after a week, I rented an Airbnb in the area. So it finally, obviously, it finally came back on. Yeah, we were finally able to get it on, but we weren't sure if it was potable for the second week. So we were just using it for toilets and stuff. And then finally, for the third week, we had drinking water uh, out of our pipes. You know, I was sitting here while you said that, going back through the movie thing. Did they ever have to turn on the water in the show? And I couldn't remember, did you actually ever have to have practical water for a scene? There are two parts. One is uh, they're doing dishes at night, but our night shoot was the second week. So that we were able to have running water. But the big problem was 
I don't want to give spoilers for people who have yet to see the film, but dishes are done after the breakfast scene. And we learn that something has fallen into that dishwater, but we did not have running water at that time. So we were taking gallons of water and dumping it into the <laughs> sink to make it look like dishes had been done. Right. And then the sound of running water was just off screen. So that was the only time it came into question a lot of the scenes were often shot in a wide static shot not cutting to close-up sometimes especially in during the emotional moments why did you decide to do that we were we were very uh purposeful with holding away from close-ups because i think that's not an approach i want to do for every film but that was important for this film you know it's called glue trap it's about the idea of feeling stuck in a situation so for me uh there's this korean director i love named hong sang su who's all about he shoots all his uh, films in these wide masters and what's great about shooting things that way especially for an uncomfortable film like ours is like oh you are just trapped there with the characters you are stuck in this situation there's this old line every cut is a lie you know it's the same every cut is an escape but it's like if we just keep this shot going and you have to stare at these people interacting for three minutes you you feel like you're in that space with them and uh, hopefully it's any cut will remind you oh you're in a movie but if we're not cutting away, you're stuck with them. That sounds like a writer's metaphor, doesn't it? <laughs> now, let me ask about this, the quiet kind. What's the story behind that? It's a Western? Yeah, that's uh, that was the first thing. I, I wrote that right before Glue Trap. That was my first big, the world is shut down. I'm staying at home. I'm going to write. And so I was kind of, I'd always wanted to write a Western. And I was like, I was watching a bunch of spaghetti Westerns. And so that was my escape kind of while being stuck at home. It's a little bit of Unforgiven and True Grit, but meets Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, it, it was uh, chosen by GLAAD for their list last year, the best unproduced uh, LGBTQ plus uh, screenplays in Hollywood. And it's something I'm really proud of. Footnote. In case you don't remember, Call Me By Your Name was the 2017 film starring Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet as young lovers. And GLAAD stands for Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Defenders. I think that would be too big a project for my next film. I'd love to work with another director, but if I make, you know, a good level up film next, maybe it could be the one I make after that. Here's a question unrelated to anything else we've talked about, but I read that you allegedly once wrote a mean tweet that Larry King was forced to read on Jimmy Kimmel. What was that about? Jimmy Kimmel used to have this thing called Celebrities Read Mean Tweets, and I had years ago in Los Angeles seen Larry King at a restaurant, and I tweeted a joke about it. You know, I think it was something like the effect of I saw Larry King at dinner, but it might have been a run of the mill goblin. However, I need to make it very clear for those who, you know, use Twitter or whatever the site's called now, I did not at Larry King. I, you know, he I was making fun of a public figure, but I was not trying to make fun of a person. Somehow, six months, a year later, a friend sends me the link to the clip from the Jimmy Kimmel show. And is like, hey, is that you? And sure enough, there's my tweet. And there's Larry King reading it out loud. You never heard from them or anything. No, but Justin Long followed me on Twitter after that and oh. sent me a compliment. So, you know, pale Justin's watching out for each other. <laughs> well, uh, Jason, I want to thank you so much. This has been fun. It was fun to see the movie, and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you when it shows. Is this the premiere, actually? Uh, this will be our Virginia premiere. We had our world premiere in Los Angeles at the Chinese Theater this June, but oh, we're cool. excited to play in Virginia, and we have some more festivals ahead that we should be able to announce soon. Great. How was the reception at the, at the man? It was great. It's funny. This film is a bit of a Rorschach test. You know, some people think it's a horror film. Other people think it's a dark comedy. And I think at our first screening, you could feel the tension. This crowd, our laughs were, you know, killing and more than other uh, comedies. So yeah, great reception and hope for an even better one at the bird. Great, great. Well, I want to thank you again. It's great to see you and meet you in person. We've actually emailed back and forth and I'll look forward to seeing you at the bird. Great to see you, Jerry. And, you know, excited to see what comes next. 
Richmonder Justin Geltzahler wrote and directed Glue Trap, which will be shown at this year's Richmond International Film Festival. There are links to his work and everything else we've discussed on this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Nia Vartos is back for the third installment, and John Corbett joins her for a trip to the old country. The Nun 2. This sequel follows Sister Irene facing new demons. After Everything, a man heads to Lisbon to make amends with the woman he spurned. Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. Based on the book set in El Paso, Texas in 1987, about two Mexican-American loners who become friends and or more. TV and streaming. With the strikes, Netflix has released a ton of classics like Jaws, Stand By Me, Superbad, and Field of Dreams. Reporting for Duty, a tribute to Leslie Jordan on Netflix. This special celebrates the hilarious actor's life. 97 Minutes on Hulu. Jonathan Rhys Myers and Alec Baldwin star in another thriller about a hijacked plane with little time left. The Changeling on Apple. Lakeith Stanfield and Clark Bacco star in this horror fantasy from Victor Laval. Scouts Honor, The Secret Files of the Boy Scouts of America, a documentary on the Boy Scouts. You know, you can subscribe to this podcast on all the usual platforms, or you can visit TV Jerry, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. See you next week. For more sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.